Welcome to the Orissa Texas podcast. This podcast was recorded in May 2023. In this podcast, we interview Brian Paulus and Jason Harris from Rock Technologies. During this interview, we discuss Enterprise GIS and Kubernetes with a very nice historical overview of Enterprise GIS. We hope you enjoy. Welcome to the Orissa Texas podcast. Today we're joined by Brian Paulus and Jason Harris from Rock Technologies. Brian, do you want to go ahead and, and start off, or Jason, would you like to start off and tell, tell us a little bit about yourself and a little bit about what you do at Rock Technologies? Sure, uh, I'll go ahead and go. Uh, I'm Brian Paulus. I'm uh, our chief cloud architect at Rock Technologies. Um, I have a background in GIS, um, went to school for environmental science, both uh, bachelor's and master's, and in, in both um, experiences, you know, I, I did find myself kind of leaning towards the GIS and technological side of things, whether it be spatial analysis or imagery analysis, um, along with a background um, just growing up being experienced to a lot of technology um, that in the end, I found myself here at this role at Rock Technologies where I've really found a balance between kind of configuring and managing and setting up these enterprise GIS systems and, and really being able to apply what I know, um, both as a GIS user and an administrator to, to kind of design and implement some, uh, some of the better ArcGIS Enterprises systems out there. Great, great. Thank you. Jason? Well, that's going to be tough to beat, Brian. That was really good and thorough. Um, let's see. So I guess much like Brian, I also went to school. I have a bachelor's um, in geography, and GIS was sort of really – not. it definitely wasn't in its infancy – so I graduated college in 1994, if it's going to date me a little. But I think we learned um, GIS on IDRISI, which was a you know, cell-based um, application way back when. I'm sure some people remember it. Um, anyway, I've, I've actually been working at, at Rock Technologies for about 25 years now. I think just over 25 years. Um, I started as employee number one um, and been here ever since. Um, so I guess a little bit about Rock Technologies is uh, we have been an Esri business partner since I think it's been since 1997. So we've been a really long time business partner. And for the, the majority of, of our existence, we were um, we did work. It was almost purely application development. Right. So we were we started with map objects and um and then there was uh, ArcIMS, that was you know the the big one for a long time. And of course now we're sitting at ArcGIS Enterprise, ArcGIS Server. Um, so we were developing these applications for these different um, you know Esri-based internet mapping solutions. And when we got to really came it hit hard with ArcGIS Server, we would um, develop these applications and hand them off to people. And they would look at us and go, "Well, we don't, we can't, we can't really support this application because of ArcGIS Server. We don't have the the time or the the expertise to keep this application up and running all the time." And this was particularly true of of clients that uh, the app was for public access, right? Mm -hmm. The the public was going to be hitting these applications, and the last thing that they wanted to do was be responsible for an app going down or something not working. So they, that's the last thing they want is for the public to be, you know, calling their, their uh, phone line saying the application's down. So what happened is we, as a company, started hosting these ArcGIS server map services. And next thing you know, we've, we're, we're, you know, we're managing a, you know, a giant cluster of, of ArcGIS servers, you know, joined to a similar site, joined to the same site. And from there, it was it was getting hard to manage just because of the pure you know, size of this of this enterprise. Actually, sorry, it was ArcGIS Server back then, not enterprise. Um, that's when we we started looking at um, different options, what we could do in the cloud. Right, this is sort of in the infancy of of AWS. So we were a real early adopter of of you know moving our infrastructure over to the cloud. Mm -hmm. So then it became, all right, so all these people are 
coming to us to host these ArcGIS map services, why are they not managing it themselves, right? Okay, we know they don't want to hear from the public, but, you know, we hear um, our hardware is old, we can't, we can't support it. Um, we don't have the right people in-house to actually manage this, right? So we, we kind of pivoted from this arc, from application development to purely managing other people's ArcGIS enterprise systems in cloud environments. Um, it's been a really been a natural fit um, for us and our skill sets. Um, so we're completely out of the application development game now. So for about, I guess, five or six years, we have just 100% been uh, first migrating people's on-premise systems into a cloud environment and then the ongoing management of that system. So managing all the security, managing the, the hardware, the software patches. We do all the ArcGIS updates and basically sort of shepherd that service, uh, you know, that enterprise system and services along. Um, so that's that's a little bit about me and that's a little bit about Rock. Mm -hmm. um, what else can I tell you? So I actually had a, a, a couple questions or at least one question. So can you put a date on when sort of the whole enterprise, you know, you mentioned moving over to AWS and things like that. Can you kind of put a date on when that really jumped off? You know, it's pretty common now, right? So, yeah. So I think the the very first foray that we made into the cloud. I'm trying to think. I have the article somewhere. I'll have to look it up. But it was in the late 2000s. So like I want to say 2009 or something. Okay. And we had developed an application. It was one of the very first you know, ArcGIS server REST-based applications. Mm -hmm. And this client, um, this is actually, I think this was before you could even launch an, an EC2 instance, right? This was, I think S3 was one of the only, or the, the main service that AWS had, um, or close to it. So uh, we developed this application, we handed it off, and they were running it on their own, um, you know, in-house system. And we bring these these maps up, and they would, you know, the, it was a cached map service. So these tiles would start drawing, but they would kind of plop in real slow, one at a time, bing, bing, bing. You know, it would take a little while for it to draw um, as it brought those tiles down. And by this point, everyone was used to, you know, Google Maps. When you pan over, it draws. Mm -hmm. You pan over, it's there. It's almost there instantaneously. And that's what the tiled map service really was designed to do, right? It was designed to appear immediately and not have any server time to to actually create that image and push it down. Um, but the problem was we looked at it and this client just didn't have enough bandwidth for the amount of uh, people that were hitting this service. I think this is also going to date it a little bit, but he had like a, I think it was a T1 or, or something to that effect. And it just, he just did not have enough bandwidth to push these tiles out fast enough. So that was our first sort of experimentation in cloud. We said, hey, can we pick up these tiles and put them on a cloud service like S3 where they've got plenty of bandwidth. Um, there's no, it's very cheap to store stuff and they have, you know, they have bandwidth like Amazon has bandwidth. That's a huge amount. So we, this is actually before ArcGIS Enterprise had the, had the built-in capability to serve tiles from S3. This was long before that. Um, we just changed a little JavaScript around and um, next thing you know, the client opens it up and the, the application's coming from his server, but the tiles are streaming in from a, a different service um, straight from Amazon. And that was sort of, to me, it was pretty eye-opening and, and sort of revolutionary. And now we think about it, you know, when you open up your ArcGIS Enterprise portal, you've got data coming from your server, from uh, Esri's servers, uh, their base map services, other you know, joined entities, you know, all, all services are coming in from everywhere. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and that was something that really kind of struck me. Like this is, this something is, something's happening here. Like we have a, you know, a huge chance to grow. Yeah. Even thinking about you configuring that in that method, um, is kind of mind blowing just because now, like you said, the way portal is, you know, can take in all sorts of types of, of data and serve it, um, is it, it just makes it so easy. And I think, you know, another big um, thing, especially from like the client perspective would be that that release of portal um, made it a lot easier for, 
for these smaller organizations to think about putting enterprise to host their own enterprise and manage their GIS data themselves. Uh, and, and we were we were able to kind of stand up that back end and that monitoring and maintenance and, and support for them. Um, so now with, with enterprise and with portal, these things that you previously described that are very complicated, setting up S3 buckets and making custom JavaScript sites. And, and um, I can imagine that the type of S3 interactions you're doing are definitely different than what they are now. Um, you know, that that's a huge, huge jump, the introduction to portal and enterprise too. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I was trying to think when, Matt, like you were asking before, when did it really kick off mm -hmm. um, people really moving their systems to the, to the cloud, really thinking about it. And I, I would say it really started heating up 2018. Um, I can I remember that people were still primarily doing ArcGIS server only and Portal was was released, but not a lot of people had it adopted it yet. So this is like 10.6.1 maybe. Mm -hmm. So then with 10.7.1, it really, we started seeing it really kick up. Um, and that's, I would say probably 2018, 2019, that's when we really started seeing a huge uptick of, of moving folks um, from on-premise to the cloud. Um, and while we actually, we still do that, we still migrate people all the time from mm -hmm. on-premise to cloud, we see a lot of people just starting in cloud. They're, they're not even considering you know, standing up their own infrastructure anymore, which I, I, of course I think is a really smart idea, right? Um, but uh, it, it's funny to see these these trends. You know, everybody's not everybody, but there's you know a lot of people are migrating their systems. But there's a, a really large amount of just brand new enterprise people going straight to the cloud, skipping an on-premise deployment of any kind. Hmm. Um, so pretty recently, then I mean, 2018 is is pretty recent for like you said to see sort of a major inflection point in the uptake of this. Now you guys work with multiple industries. Can you? you know, not pinpoint an exact company, but can you, you know, do you have any insight onto industries that were perhaps more early adopters versus industries that are sort of lagging or is it kind of a mixed bag? So I guess when it first started, um, surprisingly, I think it would be the, the larger organizations that had probably already have some type of cloud presence. Mm -hmm. Um, much larger organizations like Fortune 500s or, you know, very large um, private industries. And some some of them, the very early ones were large uh, state level organizations. The, the people that it's always been a little bit tough to get the idea across to are the smaller, you know, local county um, and city type governments. Mm -hmm. I think that, that was a bit of a tough sell in the beginning because mm -hmm. that's just completely different than anything they've ever done you know that's their data it sits next to them it's you know they're working on it all the time mm -hmm. it's supposed to be right next to them um that was just a really hard concept to to kind of get around in the early days mm -hmm. um now i mean brian you you're setting up a lot of these um systems and the, you know the county governments and the state and the local you know cities they're coming over in droves now um it's almost like the old IT guy or gal retired and whoever took their place has understands the value of cloud and, and not having to deal with that physical infrastructure. Yeah. This, I mean, this is Uriza after all, right? So, you know, I think that, you know, even in the, in the kind of previous iteration of, of the business, like Jason was describing, where we're hosting a lot of data for people and map services and building custom maps around it. Uh, that was really beneficial to the small state and locals um, that really, you know, they had their data, they they held it in, in, in their possession and, you know, worked with, you know, contractors to, to get that data out in, mm -hmm. in purpose-built applications. And now, uh, you know, with the cloud and in, in the way enterprise can be set up, you know, it, it can almost be a lightweight, relatively lightweight, you know, application in the cloud that these teams, which generally tend to can be kind of small, um, can can really focus on 
you know, I think one of the things we say is like you focus on your GIS, your mapping, and and we'll handle the the IT stuff that that you know something like a county or a, a you know small city you know really struggles with, uh, especially from the GIS office where you know there's there can be you know differences or uh, a lack of understanding between like an IT department and a GIS department as to what's what's important data and what needs to be available to the public and, and things like that. And so ArcGIS Enterprise um, and, and getting that that application into these people's hands um, unrestricted, uh, it really helps, you know, smaller teams grow. And, and that's definitely something that we've found with with those with these state and locals and, and small engine and, and beyond that small engineering firms and design firms and things like that as well. Even large, really large design firms and, and engineering firms these days. Um, it, it's funny because just like you were talking about with, with state and local and now they're, you know, the adoption is, is here. It's sort of, it's like that. What are they, you know, the frog and the slowly boiling pot of water, you know, doesn't know it's being cooked alive. I feel like that's almost, it's a similar story about, you know, ArcGIS Enterprise. So when ArcGIS Enterprise, uh, or say ArcGIS in general, you know, it was very typically known as a, you know, if you go back 20 years, it was a desktop application. And then we, you know, primarily working on our ArcInfo or, or you know, uh, ArcGIS desktop now. And uh, we had a little bit of interaction with, you know, an enterprise geodatabase with SDE or, or SQL or Oracle. And then next thing you know, we, we've got ArcGIS server, right? So now that's desktop, a database, and a server component. ArcGIS server in itself is, is not an easy application to, to necessarily know how to manage and configure, right? Then we throw in uh, the web server component. And then we throw in you know, public access, so managing security. Then we throw in a portal. Okay, things are starting to get complicated now. Then we throw in a data store. Okay, things are really getting complicated now. Lots of ports have to be opened. Lots of you know, this, lots of security um, security things we have to watch out for: intrusion detection and, and virus and all sorts of stuff. So it's like this: the frog it was in the pot. It's slowly, slowly, slowly that these on-premise you know GIS administrators were being tasked. They had to be web server admins. They needed to be security specialists. They needed to be. Uh, experts in ArcGIS and experts in ArcGIS Enterprise, all these different components. And all of a sudden, this thing just got really, really complicated really, really quick. Um, so that's how we kind of found our niche, right, is is being able to manage these things properly and set up the security. But it's still, if you think about it, we can automate these things and we can monitor everything. But in the greater, you know, in the greater picture, we're still managing you know, at a at a bare minimum of a, a five server setup for a base enterprise um, base enterprise system, um, not to mention imagery server and all the other server roles. So some of these systems that we manage are, you know, upwards of you know twenty, thirty plus, you know, big large instances. That's still a lot of individual operating systems and individual application components that we have to manage, um, and I think that's that's sort of what's happened over time, right? Um, we went from very simple to very complex. And now there's lots of these, you know, individual machines that we're having to manage. And then Kubernetes came along, right? And I think that's sort of, that was the big impetus. Well, you know, Brian, you can probably talk a little bit more intelligently about Kubernetes, but I'll just say that, you know, it, it abstracts that, that operating system layer, right? So if we have ArcGIS Enterprise deployed on Kubernetes, there's still underlying hardware components that we need to watch, but less of a of an overhead from the operating system. That makes sense. Okay. Yeah. So, with you know, like you're saying, with enterprise, enterprise came along and it has all these great features to it. Um, and and I really like to think about it as you know a, a singular application. But in the end, underneath, you know, it is it, at minimum you know four or five servers and when you start to work with some of the bigger clients some clients that have you know uptime requirements slas that 
need to be met, um, just horsepower that needs to be addressed. You know, this application, um, which, you know, sometimes you can think of as a singular thing, ends up being many, many moving parts um, that all need to be managed um, in harmony. And and so, yeah, there, you know, it's it's more than just in, just a single, you know, well, in the end, it, you could think of it as like one or two endpoints. There's so many things running underneath that. Mm-hmm. And with Kubernetes, um, you know, you, you still have all of those moving parts, but it has kind of been abstracted away from the servers uh, into kind of just like the application and, you know, generic horsepower or compute running underneath uh, so there there is uh, a different level of concern for how the underlying compute uh, and operating system like runs to the point where a ArcGIS administrator really would just need to think about the services that they're publishing and the resources that they're using and what pieces of the enterprise application um, are are being utilized the most, and how to you know address the resources to those individual pieces, while not necessarily fully being concerned about well, what is what's running underneath? Do I need to check out application security or patching and operating system stuff, and 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 access to those machines? Where in the cloud, you can kind of like really really silo those those machines that are essentially running the application, but are in the end through containerization um, detached Mm -hmm. from the actual application. Okay. So we had a lot of really great background and sort of reasoning on, on, you know, why the enterprise system is important and things like that. So you mentioned the word Kubernetes um, and that's uh, an important part of your workflow. Um, can you just, can we step back a minute? Can we just sort of define Kubernetes and get a kind of a, a general description of what that is? Yeah. Uh, so I, I guess, yeah, we, we kind of just jump right into Kubernetes from, from traditional enterprise. Um, mm-hmm. And so I'll try and not talk about it about GIS, but in general. Um, so Kubernetes is a container orchestration platform uh, for modern applications. So as Jason was talking about uh, with the traditional ArcGIS enterprise application, there's tons of servers underneath and they all have different roles and they're all doing different things and they need to be configured in certain ways. Um, With containerization, you know, you can run each of those individual functions as microservices. So you build out your portal as a container, you build out certain features of ArcGIS server as a container, your data stores, um, you publish map servers and map or web applications as individual containers. And from there, you can utilize Kubernetes to define the rules of how these individual services interact with each other. you can very much limit what things can talk to what, while you can also manage how much resources are directed to each individual service mm-hmm. um, and build in things like high availability, um, build in things like auto healing and, applic- and like quick recovery. Um, so it's a different way of looking at like application deployment. So instead of having servers purpose built for each individual role, you kind of Kubernetes itself will act as like the manager of a pool of servers and deploy these individual microservices for ArcGIS Enterprise or anything, any other application, and have them run on top of it without the applications really need read it, really needing to know about each other because all of the configuration is handled 
at the Kubernetes level. Uh, okay, so so it sounds like, and I'm, just, I'm sorry, I'm just trying to make sure I have this correct in my head, and I could be way off base here, but it sounds sort of like almost like like a motherboard or something, like where you have your different components of your computer, and then it all goes to one sort of brain that sort of controls everything and gets things synchronized for for what the end user needs. Is that somewhat correct? Yeah, you know, I have a, a good a good way to think about it. So as, as Brian was saying, you know, previously what we've been looking at is these individual servers. Like we build out a server for a portal. We build out a dedicated server for the data store and one for ArcGIS server, all these different pieces of the enterprise. And each one of them gets its own server, right? The portal is on server A and the data store is on server B, right? What happens when if data store is using up all its CPU it can't go and talk to portal and say, Hey, can you lend me some of your CPU? Can I use some of that? Um, it doesn't work that way. That's unfortunately. Um, so instead what Kubernetes does is it takes just a, you just give it a pool of resources. Here's, um, here's 16 CPUs. I'm going to give you to, to, to run enterprise. Here you go. And it, it sets these up in these individual containers and then pods. And so ArcGIS server, um, I guess we can, everyone can imagine it's probably the, the component that, you know, uses the most CPU overall, right? Because it's drawing maps all day. And so it, so the, the, it has this pool of resources. And so then when requests are coming in, you know, hot and heavy for an ArcGIS server map service, you know, it can use the CPU that it needs without having to, you know, ask its, its brother portal on another server if it can borrow some of its CPU. So each one of these work together, but they can also work independently um, to consume the resources that it needs versus, um, you know, versus another uh, piece of that enterprise that's maybe not using quite as much CPU at the time. Um, and it just removes that extra layer of junk that you can say that Windows will give you, right? I mean, you know, it takes a lot of horsepower just to run Windows itself. Think about if you remove that and you could use all that horsepower for your application, right? Just think of it more of like a as a, a bare metal experience. Okay, interesting. So, um, so this is a pretty new technology. I'm sort of looking at the uh, the background on it here, and it was it uh, came out in 2014. So, how long have you guys been involved in in utilizing Kubernetes, and and you know how important is it to your um, to your product? Well, I, I can tell you from our perspective, right? So Brian can probably speak to a little bit more about the history of, of Kubernetes, but when, you know, we're, we're a cloud first company, that's like I said, we live in the cloud. We all work remotely. We've got people all over the country um, and we all work together remotely, but um, so we're very well versed in the, you know, the cloud universe. And it's, you know, it, it's when you're working in cloud, you're going to hear Kubernetes all the time. That's mm -hmm. just one of those cloud things, right? It's a cloud native type of application. So then when we kind of, you know, we're business partners with Esri and when we kind of heard that, you know, they were, they were getting ready to start development on a, you know, a Kubernetes product uh, for ArcGIS Enterprise, we were, you know, beating down their doors trying to get on the, on the beta list. Right. Um, so that's, you know, for us, that's when it really started kicking off is when, when we would do more Kubernetes um, because now it's being offered um, as a you know Kubernetes native application, so that's for us. Mm -hmm. What was that? I guess ten nine or ten nine one, Brian? Was that when it really? Yeah, I think it was. It was released ten nine. So, yeah, we we definitely you know our experience um, really handling Kubernetes on a day to day basis was with the release of that uh, beta from ArcGIS, um, but. You know, when you think of Kubernetes and and just kind of the way that it functions is is just similar to managing cloud-based resources in general from your from your cloud provider, whether it be AWS or Azure. Um, and, and to go back on on what you're saying about it being like the motherboard, you know, I think that it's it, it is almost like a modern cloud operating system. Mm. So it acts as like a central location 
just like your cloud provider that has a set of APIs that you can send in, you know, send requests to, to do certain things with a pool of, of servers, right? So even in a traditional cloud environment beyond, um, Kubernetes, when you're setting up EC2 servers, your standard virtual machines, you're you're sending a request to the AWS API and you're saying, hey, I need three servers. Can you stand them up for me? And it sends the request back and said, yeah, we did that. And here's your servers. Here's the information. Uh, same thing with Kubernetes where you're saying, hey, I have this application that I've developed. I've packaged it up um, in a container. So a Docker, a Docker container. I've made a list of of commands that need to be run to build this application. And I need you to reserve compute power from a pool of, of servers that I have leased and, and run it. And you need to run it this way. And I need you to give it this security requirement and I need you to give it this high availability requirement. So it really is that, that orchestrator, that operating system of operating systems almost okay. on top of it. Yeah, that, I guess maybe my motherboard analogy was was off, but I'm just thinking of like you know when you're on your machine, you like you mentioned, you have your firewall on Windows, and then you can allot certain cores to a program or something like that, right? So I think what you said about it being more of an operating system is probably more what I was thinking about as opposed to the physical hardware, right? But um, yeah, that's that's really interesting, um, you know. So you see this, or I guess let me say this: how widespread is the application of kubernetes currently um and is this going to be you know is this is this the future or is it already the future so kubernetes as a general platform cloud platform is is huge and widely adopted across enterprises and i'm not i'm not talking about arcgis enterprise I'm talking about just enterprise systems everywhere mm -hmm. that's it's a it's it's very mature. It's got wide adoption. And I think that is probably why Esri, um, you know, put a huge amount of effort into containerizing and, you know, basically rewriting ArcGIS Enterprise for, you know, to be able to be containerized in Kubernetes. So I think the natural progression of, of modern applications is towards containerization, um, and, and Kubernetes. So yeah, I mean, Kubernetes developed by Google, everything running underneath Google Maps and Google services is all Kubernetes. And, you know, again, it's very similar to just a cloud-based operating system. You know, all of these cloud providers run like a similar framework. I can't necessarily say they're running a certain version of Kubernetes or they're running Kubernetes at all, but it's a very similar concept of, of application management and deployment so you know if if the world is moving towards cloud which we think it is and you know i think it's almost undeniable that a lot of the benefits you see from cloud are you know being able to just have something out there in the web without having a team of people managing servers in a, a room somewhere or calling up a uh, colo and and setting up your own servers and and managing all of that um you know it's just the modern it's the way that modern web applications need to be developed and you know as we realize that and you know i think that enterprise in itself is is really something that can benefit from from that type of um application pattern and 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 so they've realized it, and, and like Jason say, it's really impressive what they were able to do. They you know they did. They rewrote everything. It's not just hey, we took three pieces of enterprise and containered them um, because that's essentially what it is when you're standing up VMs and installing the three pieces of enterprise on them. Is here's three VMs that together, you know, create enterprise. Instead, it's We've taken every single piece of every single function, broken it down into APIs and microservices and developed their own containers for each of those and uh, web front end to manage those, which is which is big because managing, you know, 
containers and Kubernetes resources is is pretty complex, and you don't necessarily want to be, you know, as an end user messing around in in the command line or or the cloud console, you know, trying to figure out what's going on with your containers. And and what Esri was able to do is make the management of the resources behind these individual services easier and and capable of of a a web front end for managing those things. So, you know, if if you need a certain if you need to address a certain resource need for a certain function of enterprise, you can do that through Esri's application. You don't need to go in the back end. You don't need to call up uh, you know, your IT guy and say, spin up another server. I need to do this. You you can point and click and say, hey, I need X more resources to go towards this map service that is powering our critical application, whether it be, you know, your uh, asset management thing for a state or local government or or imagery services or anything like that. A good a good example, Brian. We always talk about this internally because we laugh when it's whenever it's hurricane season. We we start getting a little nervous around here at Rock because we've got a lot of a lot of customers that are you know along the Gulf Coast, along the East Coast. Um, so we're always very cognizant of when it's hurricane season because that's when you know someone will uh, publish the the their hurricane evacuation map, right? Um, so next thing you know, we're we're watching and that. That server, this, this happened, you know, several years ago. Um, thank goodness we were in the cloud already, but uh, these guys were in the clouds. So we're watching these, and the, just the amount of requests were just coming in. It was overwhelming the server. So lucky for us, we, we did have the ability to spin up additional servers, right, and and uh, give it more resources. But, you know, that, that takes time, adding more, you know, additional servers and making sure ArcGIS Enterprise is set up and they're sharing and it's highly available, you know, round robin. Um, we were, you know, able to keep the the map service up, but it, it, I can imagine if this was already in Kubernetes, we just let's just add some more resources to this to this map service that's getting hit by the public, so it can keep up. It's just a you know very very fine grained control over all these different little aspects of your enterprise, right? So assign the the, the resources where they're needed, or intelligently distribute those resources where they're needed without you having to worry about it. That's, I guess that's really one of the, the huge advantages of running ArcGIS Enterprise on Kubernetes is that it's, you know, very, very fine-grained control over the different types of resources. And uh, Brian, you could go on and on about this, about the, this, there's some architectural things that have been built into Kubernetes to make it um, a little bit more highly available and more fault tolerant, right? Yes, yes. So, I mean, that is, you know, especially when you talk about people with critical services, whether it be emergency services or things that power, you know, very popular web applications or, you know, anything like that. Um, I think a non-GIS example would be like financial tech and and things like that. is having that service always be available, um, no downtime. And one of the things with that you can do with Kubernetes and containerization easier than you can with traditional servers is set up failovers and redundancies in these applications. And uh, that is a critical feature that we see in ArcGIS Enterprise for Kubernetes is being able to to scale out those critical services, whether it be a hurricane evacuation map like Jason was talking about, or you know just a large city or state's parcel map, or some sort of business critical application that is running on top of that. You know those things can't go down. And if they do, you need to be able to fix it quickly. So, you know, you don't, if you, if you are able to configure it to heal itself, then, then there's less response needed, um, less, uh, you know, 
less engineers need to run towards their computers yeah. when like something manual inter intervention, yeah. right? We don't want to have to exactly. intervene in this stuff and, and work. We, we just want it to, to, we just want it to work. Yeah. And so, that, that's really important. I think you guys are really hitting some great points there, right? Instead of having, you know, like you mentioned, somebody manually, you know, keeping track of these things and looking at the resource usage, if you have something there that's, that's kind of automated, right? You know, you maintain your, 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 you know, your reliability and that's really important um, for, you know, public safety and things like, you know, all the examples you're giving. I mean, you know, the data is no good. The information is no good if it can't be conveyed to the people that need it. Right. So this is a, sounds like a, a really wonderful technology that helps to, to maintain the, the reliability of these, of these resources. Right. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely right. Um, you can think about it like you remember Brian earlier was talking about, you know, enterprise we think of as this one, one application, right. And, you know, there's portal and server and there's data store. All of these things are working behind the scenes to, to provide that, that, you know, single experience of, of enterprise. Right. But if you think about it, you know, what happens if one of those components fails, let's just argument's sake, let's just say it's data store, data store goes down. Next thing you know, that means our, our hosted features aren't working. There's certain things in portal that are going to stop working. But if you don't know the data stores down, or if you need to spend the time to try to track down, oh, it's, it is data store. How did I, you know, did you check, you probably checked a dozen different things before you check data store. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's where these, like the, the automatic redundancies and like the, you know, it's, it's basically there's built in stability and, and highly availability within Kubernetes. Right. So Brian, talk about like, you know, how these things can heal and, you know, how they can determine that they're, they're actually broken and spin up new instances. Would it be helpful to kind of do a brief like overview of like what enterprise is as far as like the functions of it? And I know we keep talking about portal server data store, um, but is that something that you think? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, anything that, that will help draw the, the greater picture here, I think would be um, yeah. good information. So, yeah, so like Jason was saying about the, you know, individual functions, you know, they do work in harmony to produce a single application, but they are separate. Uh, so, you know, uh, like Jason was talking about with server, that's kind of like the original, um, you know, server-based GIS feature where, you know, you can make HTTP calls to REST endpoints and they will return things to you, whether they be polygons or uh, points, the data that, that you make a request to them and they return the data to you. Um, I think Portal kind of gives you that web interface to make better maps with that data that comes with ArcGIS server. So ArcGIS Online is uh, something that's been around for about you know, you know more, more so than portal i believe and it has very it's very feature similar where you can create maps with kind of like a better web interface than than just playing around with whatever comes out of your your arcgis server endpoints um and with portal as opposed to arcgis online you know you get to own your data you get to manage your own data um, and that would then pull from arcgis server and then data store is kind of the house in-house data management um, and data hosting platform so you know traditionally on-prem and cloud um, Cloud-based data management is done with SQL, our SDE enterprise databases, and those still are very valuable. Um, but with portal server and data store, the data store can act as kind of like a, a quicker responding place for that for critical data. I don't know, necessarily think you'd want to store your entire enterprise's data in data store, but when you publish a web service, you can put it in essentially closer to the application, make less requests to your on-prem or uh, like, you know, separated database. 
Um, so that in itself kind of completes the application. So you have Portal as like your web front end. You have your ArcGIS server, which does the work, making the requests and returning the data. And then you have the data store that stores the data, right? Mm -hmm. um, so with Kubernetes, you know, they, those functions still exist, um, but they're breaking down, broken down even further. Um, and, and so like you're saying, if, if I have, all right, so I, I have a, the application, the portal front end, and I have a bunch of employees, they're working on it. Um, they are all doing web mapping and, and editing of data. And someone does something that, uh, you know, whether it be accidental or, you know, on purpose, does, does something that takes a lot of, uh, of resources, whether, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to start hitting this, this service really hard. Um, and God forbid the service doesn't have enough resources available and something crashes or something, you know, becomes unresponsive to the rest of the team. Um, one of the things that's built in with Kubernetes is, is health checks for each of these individual services. So if the system says that, you know, a certain map service is not responding in an appropriate time and you have it configured to scale out, it will essentially just spin up a mirror of that service uh, and then redirect all new incoming traffic to that new service while kind of retiring that older service um, and letting it maybe handle its current requests, but everything new will go to the new, uh, the new service that's put up there. So essentially self-healing. So, okay, we've, we've hit this service hard, we broke it, but guess what? You know, it's smart enough to, to figure out that, you know, more requests are coming in and, and so we will make an available another endpoint for that, for that request. Um, same thing with data store. Um, it's a little different, uh, just the data store having actual static data on it that needs to be preserved. Um, but essentially what you would do is you have a single, you have a primary data store and a failover data store. And in more complex situations, you can have a third one. Um, and same thing. Hey, this, you know, some person has asked for a dump of every single parcel in the entire state of Texas for some reason. And that's going to start, you know, so not only is that request going through the server and, and probably hitting that service really hard, but then the, the data store itself is going to have to start thinking about, well, where are all these services and pulling them up and exporting them out to the server and stuff. So again, the system itself can identify that there is an issue on this data store. And since we have a clone of the data store, um, you know, sitting next door, you know, the traffic itself will redirect to that backup data store, that secondary data store, the failover. Um, and these are all kind of, you know, these, in, in the, most of these things would, could be classified as high availability, which is, you know, very critical. I wouldn't call it a buzzword. It is definitely a thing that is very important to very many organizations um, that that these things don't go down. So essentially throughout the enterprise, this high availability is built into each of these individual functions. Um, and that's a big benefit of Kubernetes um, over a traditional enterprise deployment in that while it's possible to set that up in a traditional server-based environment, it's much—it's actually much more complicated compared to Kubernetes, where you know Esri has built it into the the configuration of the application itself. Very interesting. Okay, I have learned a tremendous amount today, guys. I just want to say that I really like your comments on you know most of the listeners to this podcast are probably going to be more on the analyst side, right? So the commentary about, you know, having, um, you know, companies like yourself and, and, and all the technologies that are surrounding it that are really helping to get the analysts time back, you know, to actually do their job and create value from the data 
you know, instead of having to learn how to do all these different roles, like you mentioned earlier, you know, I think that's really important because, you know, because most folks who get into GIS and stuff like that, they want to work with the data. They want to, to bring value and find interesting patterns and do all that, you know, that, that helps their, their organization. Right. So, so having, um, having this, this technology and having organizations like yourself out there that can help, um, to, to, you know, set that up and sort of take that load off their shoulders. It's, it's, it's really important. And then it's the Kubernetes and, and all the, you know, as you mentioned, the redundancies and the safety features in there and stuff is, is, is fascinating because again, you know, if you can't access the information then you know, then what good is it? That's all. That was a really good summation, Mac. Good job. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it, that's all, you know, very true. It's, um, you know, it's it, it, the whole system as a whole is you know very complex, and you know, moving to a cloud native architecture like Kubernetes is is definitely, I think, the wave of the future. We all have to sort of get our people up to speed on how to how to work with Kubernetes, and it, it's you know, as as Brian can attest to, it's completely different than dealing with a uh, you know a Windows or or even a Linux operating system. It's just a, a different mindset, and people are going to get there eventually. Um, it's just a matter of you know how long that takes, um, who are the first adopters, um, and and how it starts off from there. Yeah. Well, and you know, it's, you know, discussions like we're having right now is really important to help people you know b- better understand, right? Because people are naturally sort of um, you know a little bit wary of the unknown, right? So when you say enterprise and cloud, it's this big scary thing out there, right? So when you can kind of break it down and explain what's happening, that's that's great to you know to to ease people's minds on, on, on what's going on. Right. So. Yeah. I think, you know, I think you, like you said, you just nailed it as far as, you know, one of the things that we really kind of take pride in is, is real is letting GIS people do GIS work and whether it's, I mean, Kubernetes or not cloud-based um, deploying your, the enterprise in the cloud and having a managed service team take care of a lot of that really opens up small uh, the availability of of smaller departments or larger ones, but but GIS focused departments to really just do the GIS and and let you know people like us take take care of like a lot of the complicated backend. So you know organizations could take inventory of, of of how they're operating now and and what their workflows are and and on it some a lot of the time um while it does seem scarier and more of the unknown like when you move to the cloud and move to enterprise and and start fully utilizing things like portal if you're comfortable with arcgis online um it really can actually start to to streamline some workflows um and allows the GIS department to, to do GIS. Right. Yeah, that's great. All right, guys. Thanks a lot. Great. Great to be here. Thanks for uh, having us. It was cool. Super. Yeah, thank you very much. Super. This concludes the interview. I hope that you enjoyed the podcast and found it as informative as I did. Thank you.